How are you doing this morning? Good. All right. Labor Day weekend. You get an extra day. Hopefully you have tomorrow off or you'll get to spend some more time with your family. Or maybe it's the... Uh, you got the big project list, and it's time to get caught up on all those projects that are just around the house, or maybe you have work projects, and I just hope you have a great weekend. I'm so thankful that you were here. You had a three-day weekend, but yet you decided to spend part of it here, so we don't take that lightly. We're thrilled that you would come and be here. This is your first time at Southridge. You're our honored guest. We're excited that you would come to the theater. Hopefully, you didn't just walk into the wrong theater. You're expecting to watch something else, but uh, you know, you're stuck with me, so there's no, there's no getting out, all right? No uh, refund on the uh, price of admission, okay? So we're glad you're here. We, we today, I'm kind of, this is bittersweet. You say, why is it bittersweet? We say goodbye to Samson today, all right? Samson gets a haircut, and uh, we're going to say goodbye to him today. And uh, it's been quite the journey. I'll be honest, looking at the life of Samson, this has been one where I see so much of myself in the life of Samson. Just here is this person that, that, that had all the potential, but he had to make some poor decisions. And maybe as we studied Samson, you saw how he slipped up and how he messed up. And maybe you felt like, I can, I can relate. Or there's some things that have helped you. And so we're wrapping up a series that we've entitled, Liar, Liar, Pants on Fire. Because we live in a day and age where um, the number one person we deceive is ourselves. It's not the boss, it's not the neighbor, it's not the co-worker, it's not the spouse. The person we deceive the most is ourselves. We deceive ourselves that we're better than we think we are. We deceive ourselves and to think that we can get away with it. We deceive ourselves in that it won't affect me, it won't hurt me. We deceive ourselves into thinking that, you know what, I'm the exception to the rule. We, we, we just kind of excuse ourselves. We just kind of, um, really what we're doing is we have this, self-deception that goes on we've we've lied to ourselves and when we lie to ourselves that changes our direction and we talked about it how that starts us down a line of steps and that sets our our direction and that direction leads to a destination which can ultimately hinder the god-given destiny that god has for us this morning and as we say goodbye to him i believe that the holy spirit has spoken through these last several verses out of the book of jeremiah judges that we study chapters number 13, 14, 15, and now chapter number 16 is where we're going to find ourselves. We, we, we kind of spent a little time in the first couple of verses, and now we're going to spend a lot of time in the last several verses of chapter number 16. And we started this series by saying that R- Samson, he rationalized his sinful behavior. He had a reason for why he didn't do right. And sometimes you and I, we do that. We rationalize away why, why we think that today I don't need to do that or, or we rationalize our behavior. And then once we start rationalizing in our minds, it's easier to justify our actions. See, it starts where we rationalize in our minds. Uh, that person had an affair. Well, the reason I had an affair is because my spouse wasn't meeting my needs and uh, didn't spend enough attention with me. So that, therefore, it justifies my action of being unfaithful. Or um, I rationalize that, you know, what did God ever do for me? So why do I owe God anything? So that justifies my behavior to rebel against God. Can you see where it starts? It starts with the rationalization, and then that leads to justifying our actions, which are never good. And that's how it starts over and over throughout the Bible. Whenever you look at any character, it first of all started with the rationalization. Think about it. Satan came to Eve and said, hey, you want to be just like God? Started thinking, yeah, I want to be like God. 
hey, wouldn't it be great to be like, yeah, rationalize it. And all of a sudden, then there became the justifying of the behavior. And the, what did Adam do? Well, God, if you hadn't given me that woman to be my wife, if you would have taken a different rib, maybe I would have gotten a different wife. And maybe that would have changed everything. But since you took that rib, I got that wife. And, and that's, it's all your fault, God, really. You see what he did? He justified his poor behavior. You and I, we do the same thing. We're not above it. It's just what we do. So instead of calling out the liars and other people, we through this series have started to call out the liar in ourselves. Before we blame anybody else, we first say, you know what? Where am I at fault? Where do I need to change? Where do I need to do things differently? And then we spent a time in chapter number uh, 14, even though Samson made some mistakes in chapter 15, God takes those very same mistakes that Samson made and God does a miracle out of them. And that's a promise from God that we can take and say, you know what, God can take things that I've messed up because that's what happens in life. We can get really discouraged. We can have a lot of regret if we think that God can't fix what we've messed up. Now, it's not an excuse to just go around messing more stuff up, but it's the fact that as we confess our sins, the Bible says he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And God reopens the way so that we can live in newness of life and we can have the Christian life we're always supposed to. And then last week we talked about our direction and how Samson, he had this habitual problem, didn't he, with ladies, it just seemed like, man, over and over and over, he just constantly was just kind of a one-track mind here, constantly kept repeating his mistakes. And some of you, you may feel like that's you. You're trapped in this rut, and you make the same mistakes. I got the same anger problem that my father got, and my father has the same anger problem that my grandfather had. How come I'm just stuck with it? Why is it that I can't ever break free from this? Or, man, I've got the same issues that this person had, man, I just can't ever break free. But we saw how even through that, God still allowed Samson to have a great victory. And he took the gate of the city of Gaza, one of the five chief cities of the Philistines, and he took it, carried it 40 miles on his shoulders, and he set it up on a hill in Hebron so that all the Israelites could see that God still gives the victory even when we choose to make wrong steps or head in the wrong direction. So that brings us to chapter number 16 and in chapter 16 we know that verse number four samson meets delilah and we know that once again the vicious cycle kind of starts over and i've simply entitled this message this morning message bringing the house down on our lies bringing the house down on our lies you see samson was strong on the outside but weak on the inside he had all kinds of talent all kinds of ability but inside he was weak. A tree doesn't fall down because the bark is unhealthy. It falls down because the root system is unhealthy, the internals. A Christian doesn't just fall down. They don't just get into problems. They don't just get into trouble. It happens internally. That's why the Bible says this, and we're gonna, I'm kind of getting ahead of myself. The Bible says, guard your heart with all diligence. And we're going to see that Samson makes a grave error in this passage because he didn't follow that simple, simple verse. But the kind of the, the, the crux thought through this mini-series that we've been doing is this. The lies we believe will determine the life we experience. The lies we believe will determine the life we experience. 
the lies that you're falling for, the lies that you're refusing to deal with, those are determining the life that you're experiencing. You can keep going around and blaming things on your past and saying, if I had different parents, I would be better in this area. Or if I didn't have that boss, I would excel. And you can, you can point the external fingers at all, all kinds of things instead of saying, wait a minute, no, no, no. I, I'm done with the making excuses. I'm going to deal with myself. I'm going to deal with myself. And so that's where we find ourselves. But Samson, in verse number four, he plays a game. And maybe you've played this game. He meets Delilah. The Bible says he loves Delilah. It's interesting, the passage, the Bible in the life of Samson never says that Samson loves God, never says that Samson loved his parents. It never said that Samson loved the other two women, but it does say he loved Delilah, okay? It does say that he loved her, and because he loved her, he plays a dangerous game. Maybe you've played the same game. It's called hot and cold, um, You'll hide a present or you'll hide something or you'll see kids play it. They'll hide an item or, or they'll play guess that item or something. And uh, as the kids are in the room, as you get closer to the item, there's the one kid who knows where it's hidden or you know where the present is and you're calling out as they're getting closer. You'll say, warmer, warmer. Or as they go the other way, they'll say, oh, colder, colder ice cold arctic frozen tundra you know um, uh, you're there with the disney princesses now it's it's all over you know and and so you start you start getting back where it's it's warmer it's warmer and it's a guessing game okay and it's it's all hot hot getting really close samson's gonna play that same game because delilah asks him a question delilah says hey where is the secret to your great strength it's interesting why she thought it was a secret God never said it was a secret. Why does she think it's a secret? Isn't that interesting? It's actually clear in Scripture what his vows were. Because here's why she thought it was a secret. Because when you looked at him, when you looked at Samson, he looked like a long-distance runner. He did not look like an MMA fighter. That's why she thought it was a secret. Because, I mean, he had the body of a runner, okay? Not bulging muscles, not huge, strong uh, strong muscles or anything like that. It was the fact that this guy from externally, you wouldn't think that, man, this guy's got the power of God and he can do incredible feats of strength. No, so she thought it was a secret, and she wanted the secret. Why? Because there were some Philistines' lords that came to her. The Bible doesn't say how many, but they all said, we'll give you 10,000 pieces of silver. Judas betrayed Jesus for 40 pieces of silver. So imagine 10,000 from each Lord of the Philippines. I'm doing it again, folks. The Philippines and Philistines. My wife is Filipino, if you don't know. So that's why I'm having problems with this, okay? And uh, so she, for the Bible doesn't specify how many Lords of the Philistines were there, but they all were going to give her this amount of money. And even though this guy loved her, she loved the money more. She wanted the money. She wanted the money. And so we see that Samson starts playing this game. She wants to know the secret of his strength. And so Samson starts saying, well, if you bind me with seven green wreaths, I'll be like any other man. Okay? And that's where we're going to pick it up, and we're going to spend some time in the passage. It's going to be a lengthy passage of Scripture, so I'm not going to have you stand, but I just want you to just kind of stay with me as we go throughout this passage because I'm going to do something a little bit different. I don't have like a three points of a poem. It's a different kind of outline, so I'll just need you to kind of bear with me just for a little bit. The Bible says this. 
Verse number six, and Delilah said, Samson, tell me, I pray thee, wherein thy great strength lieth, and wherewith thou mightest be bound to afflict thee. And Samson said unto her, If thou bind me with seven green withs that are never dried, then shall I be weak as and be as another man. Then the lords of the Philistines brought up her seven green withs, which had not been dried, and she bound him with them. Now there were men lying in wait, abiding with her in the chamber. And she said unto him, The Philistines be upon thee, Samson. And he brake the wits as a thread of tow is broken when it touches the fire. So his strength was not known. And Delilah said unto Samson, Behold, thou hast mocked me and told me lies. Now tell me, I pray thee, wherein thou, that thou mightest be bound. And he said unto her, If they bind me fast with new ropes that never occupied, then shall I be weak and be as another man. Delilah therefore took new ropes and bound him therewith and said unto him, The Philistines be upon thee, Samson. And there were liars in wait abiding in the chamber, and he brake them off his arms like a thread. And Delilah said unto Samson, Hitherto thou hast mocked me and told me lies. Tell me wherein thou mightest be bound. And he said unto her, If thou weavest the seven locks of my head with the web. Now we're getting closer. Can you see where we're playing this game of cold, cold, warmer? Now he's talking about his hair. He's broken two of the three vows already, okay? Uh, Don't have anything to do with anything fermented. He's already broken that one. Don't touch anything dead. Already broken those two. The third one, the only one that he has left of his covenant is his hair. So now he's not giving away the secret, but he's saying, if you'll weave pieces of wood into my hair, all of a sudden we're getting warmer. He's starting to give it away. How many of you, you're, you're really bad at keeping secrets? Are you bad at keeping secrets? I'm terrible at keeping secrets. Only three of you in here. The rest of us are like, yeah, I'm really good at keeping secrets, okay? Yeah, right, okay? And uh, I'm terrible, all right? My wife is the best at keeping secrets. I mean, just awesome at keeping secrets. Every year, she plays this game around Christmas and birthday. She's like, I just didn't get you anything. And, I, and she'll have me going. Like, it'll be the day. It'll be like my birthday. And I'm like, you didn't get me anything. And uh, I'll, like, almost be, like, crying like a little two-year-old, like, you missed my birthday, you know? And Christmas, she'll do the same thing. And she's got all these plans. She'll involve church members, so just look out, all right? And remember, be loyal to your pastor, not your pastor's wife, okay? No conspiring with her or anything. And so she would have people, like, show up on Christmas Day with the present or something. She just does all kinds of crazy stuff like that. And so here is, here is Samson. He's having a hard time keeping this secret. I can almost see him giggling, just kind of like, <clears throat> she tried it. Wow. Like, okay. All right. I'll give you another hint. This guy loves riddles, by the way. And he's just kind of like, like biting his nails. Like he really wants to tell her because he loves her. And he's still really dumb. That doesn't get the hint that she's trying to kill him, but he loves her. And uh, so here's this game kind of going on. So he starts getting closer and kind of giving her little hints. You know, you kind of got to give a little hints, keep coming along and keep going along with the, with the thing. And so here, Samson now, Samson says, Hey, if you, in verse number 13, the lie said on Samson, hitherto thou hast mocked me and told me lies. And then he said unto her, If thou weavest the seven locks of my head with the web. And she fastened it with a pin and said unto him, The Philistines be upon thee, Samson. He waked out of his sleep and went away with the pin of the beam and with the web. And he said unto him, How canst thou say, I love thee, when thine heart is not with me? Thou hast mocked me these three times and hast not told me wherein thy great strength lieth. I want you to understand something, church. When you and I are under the power of the Holy Spirit... Nothing can bind us, okay? I want you to see something. Even though Samson is not living wisely, even though he's making some very foolish decisions, God still is delivering him, isn't he? Three times God still delivered him. That's God's mercy, folks. 
Sometimes we don't ever stop and just say, wow, God, you've delivered me. You have helped me. You were there when I was making some dumb decisions. I mean, just Darwin Award decisions here, just world-class stupid decisions. But God, you still had mercy here. And here three times, God has given Samson a chance here. But Samson, he's, he's just stubborn, just strong-willed. And he's not wanting to just repent and do right, okay? Verse number 16, it came to pass when she pressed him daily with her words and urged him so that his soul was vexed unto death. Just vexed unto death. Like he's at the point where he just can't take the nagging. Just can't take it. Can't take it. Day after day after day. Just the nagging, the nagging, the nagging, the nagging. And he just can't take it. Finally, verse 17. Then he told her all his, and there's a key word, heart. The Bible says to guard your heart with all diligence. For out of it are the issues of life. And here's Samson. The very woman that for three times so far has tried to have him destroyed. The Philistines have no good plans for him. They've they've sent people after him to kill him. They've tried to stop him. And here he is sharing his heart with somebody who has his, not his best interest at heart. So it begs the question, who are you bearing your heart to? Is there that secretary at work that you're just kind of sharing your heart to? Yeah, the the wife and I, we're just not really getting along too well. Is there that person online that you're just bearing your heart to? And you guys are just kind of developing a friendship, but you're just bearing your heart and soul to this person? Instead of saying, wait a minute, the Bible says to guard my heart, for out of it are the issues of life. And here, Samson, he's just giving it away. Just giving it away. I want you to see something. The covenant was not really in his hair, folks. It wasn't really about his hair. That was an outward sign of an inward decision. Where was that decision made? On the heart. What did he do? He just gave it away. He's saying the decision that I made with my heart, I I just don't care anymore. Let me tell you all about it. We're to guard that, to guard our heart. It's very important. But here Samson is, he's just totally disregarding that. See, and then he said, all his heart, and he said unto her, There hath come no razor upon mine head, for I have been a Nazarite unto God from my mother's womb. If I be shaven, then my strength will go from me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. He tells her because he never believes what she's going to do in verse number 18. And when Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called for the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up this once, for he hath showed me all his heart. Do you notice something? She said, Come up this once. She said, I got him. She didn't say send the soldiers. The other time, it was just men. This time, she said, hey, Lord of the Philistines, you guys are going to pay me? Show up because I got him. It's over. Lights out. Satan knows where we're weakest, folks. And wouldn't that be a sad day where he's saying, you know what? It's over. This is game over. I'm going to put him in this situation. It's going to be lights out. I'm going to clean his clock. We have to be vigilant. We have to be on guard. And here Delilah, she just says, hey, just come up. It's game over. It's lights out. I've got him. Then the lords of the Philistines came up unto her and brought money in their hand. This signifying that they believed her. They said, here's the money. Even though they didn't have Samson, they're already bringing the money. And she made him, Samson, to sleep on her knees. And she called for a man. She caused him to shave off the seven locks of his head. And she began to afflict him. And his strength went from him. 
And she said, The Philistines be upon thee, Samson. And he awoke out of his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times before and shake myself. And he wist not that the Lord was departed from him. I can't think of a more sad verse than the fact that God had left him and he didn't know it. And that's going to be my fourth point, and I don't want to get ahead of myself, but I want you to see first and foremost. As long as you're believing a lie, you're never free to live the truth. As long as you're believing a lie, Christian, you're never free to live the truth. As long as you're going to be bound up by the lies that you perpetrate, the lies that you believe, the lies that you tell, as long as you keep living under those, you're never going to be free to live in truth. See, Samson, he had been bound three times, and finally, it's lights out, it's over, he's bound, it's done, game over for him. And some of you follow the same patterns, and you're wanting to blame somebody else for the destructive pattern. Instead of saying, wait a minute, the common denominator here is me. What about me needs to change? What about me is wrong? The Bible says in one of the most famous verses of the Bible, you'll hear it quoted on all kinds of uh, legal drama TV shows, is John eight thirty two, And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Some translations will say, will make you free. I want you to understand, if anybody works with the law, there is the difference between will and shall. Shall is a much stronger. If, the Bible, if you ever see something in black and white, it says you shall go that speed, line, otherwise you've broken the law, and there will be a consequence. Here the Bible says, hey, if you are living in truth, you, you shall be free. So why aren't we free? We're not walking in truth. Why? Because we're believing the lies. Not just the lies we blame on the devil, but the lies we believe, the lies we internalize, like this. I can never be a good Christian. I can never be a good wife. I could never teach a Sunday school class. I could never lead a growth group. I could never reach my coworkers. I can never overcome my anger issues. I can never be faithful. I could never overcome my past. Oh, really? Where's that verse in the Bible? But it's a lie we believe. And as long as you're believing a lie, you're never free to live the truth. You see, we're only failing ourselves when we fail to deal honestly what's in us. It's hard to deal with us, isn't it? It's hard enough to deal with others, but the hardest person we deal with is ourselves. And we're going to look at that in more detail. In the midst of the 1800s, there was an obstetrician by the name of Ignaz Semmelweis. He worked at Vienna General Hospital. And at this time, they were having a horrendous mortality rate in the maternity ward. This is in the 1800s. One out of every 10 mothers was dying. One out of every 10. It was so bad, people would have their babies outside of the hospital and then go into the hospital afterward because one out of 10 died. And here's Semmelweis. He was sent there to kind of figure out what was going wrong. And he was trying everything. They thought it was an airborne virus, so they were putting in new ventilation. They were doing all kinds of stuff. He was trying to get better bedside manners. I mean, he was trying all kinds of things. And finally, he gathered all the doctors, all the staff. He said, we're going to an off-site. That day, they didn't call it an off-site, but we're going for a retreat. We're going to figure out why this mortality rate is so high. One out of ten of mothers are dying, okay? And so he pulled them, and guess what happened? They were gone for three weeks, and the mortality rate dropped to 1 in 50 while they were gone. 1 out of 50. Not great, but a whole lot better than 1 out of 10. 
all of a sudden, the doctor realized. We thought the problem was external. We thought it was a virus in the air. We thought it was something, something somebody was bringing into the hospital. But then when he saw the mortality rate drop, because they had midwives that were running the hospital while they were gone. They said, man, the midwives are doing a great job. Should we just let them keep doing it? And he said, no, no, the problem is the doctors are the problem. And then he started to study what, what were the doctors doing? What was their pattern? And he finally realized that the doctors would do experiments on the cadavers downstairs in the basements, and they'd go straight over to operating or delivering a baby, and they were carrying, which at the time they didn't know were germs. And these doctors were the cause of their own problem. They were the problem. And Dr. Semmelweis said, we need to start washing hands. And aren't we glad our doctors wash hands? We hope they wash hands. They should wash hands, all right? We should wash hands, all right? All that simple little thing. But you and I do the same thing. We can, we can get so, so focused that, man, everybody else is a problem. I'm certainly not the problem. But we have to say, wait a minute, what are the lies I'm believing? We asked this question a couple weeks ago. What about me do I refuse to see? What about me do I refuse to see? It's tough. Sometimes in the heat of the moment, people will get brutally honest with us, but we don't want to hear it. You're so stubborn. Well, at that point, yeah, I'm stubborn. I'm not going to stop being stubborn right now in the middle of an argument. No. You're right, I'm stubborn. Oh, man, you're so full of yourself. Yeah, I'm full of myself, but I'm not dealing with it now, you know, right in the moment of it. But see, it's hard to deal with ourselves even when we're confronted by ourselves. But the problem is we still need to deal with it. We still need to come before the throne of grace and say, Psalms 139, 23, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me. Can I tell you what, Christian? There is. He's being nice and, hey, see if there is. There is. Because the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. There is sin within us. So we have two choices. I can face it or I can fake it. I can face my sin or I can fake it like I don't have a problem. Which, can I tell you what? I know too many Christians, that's their life. I'll fake that I'm all good. I'll fake that I got it all together. I'll fake that, man, you know what? I'm just perfect. That, yeah, I spent three hours reading the book of Deuteronomy just because I'm spiritual. And, man, we just, I was up this morning, and I spent three hours singing the old hymns, and, man, we gathered the family around, we held hands, and we prayed for the service today. No, no, no. Sometimes we just want to fake it because we think it's easier to fake it. That's, that's the reason why we fake things. We think it's easier to fake it than to face it. I'm here to tell you this morning, it's far better that we face it than fake it. It's far better that you face the issue with your spouse than fake that there isn't an issue. It's far better that you face the issues that you may have with a coworker or a loved one than fake like there isn't an issue. Like, just let's just enjoy the family time. Let's not bring it up. Let's not deal with it. But then we never deal with it. And then there's a wedge in the relationship. It's just always there, and we could just kind of just never deal with it. We look at confrontation as a bad thing. Statistics say that, you know, when, when divorce happens, we think, oh, it's because that couple argued a lot and they fought a lot. That's why that, they divorced. Can I tell you what? Researchers have said 70% of divorces actually happen because the couples did not argue. They never argued. They never dealt with the conflict. And when you don't deal with conflict, it just seethes inside. And you just say, I'm never going to deal with this. Maybe you're brought up in a home that you just push things down, never deal with it. 
You just kind of just, just, just buck up, man. Just deal with it. We don't ever confront issues. We never deal with anything. And then, and then we just kind of inside, we're dying inside. And we can never walk in freedom. So are we going to face it? Samson didn't want to face that. He was the problem. It was him. He was the problem. But then I want you to see something in verse number 21 of this passage, chapter number 16. The Bible says, But the Philistines took him, put out his eyes, and brought him down to Gaza, and bound him with fetters of brass, and he did grind in the prison house. They do three things that's interesting here. They put out his eyes. They take his eyes. Because they wanted to take something, they wanted to take his vision. You say, yeah, duh, his eyes are gone. His vision's gone too. No, 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 no. Proverbs says this. Where there is no vision, the people perish. They didn't just want to take his eyes, folks. They were taking something bigger. His vision for what he ever could be. Satan wants to steal your vision that you can get over this. Satan wants to take your vision that there will be a better day. If he can kill that, he kills your hope. So that's what they want to do. They said, we're going to take your eyes. We're going to take your hope. We're going to make it so you never feel like you can ever be the judge of Israel, the leader of Israel. We're taking your vision away. And some of you, you feel like that this morning. You feel like my vision's gone. My vision for my marriage is gone. My vision for my future is gone. My vision for, for my job is gone. My vision is gone. Then your hope is gone. But if you understand something, that even though they're going to try to take his vision, God's going to do something. The moment he touches a pillar, God's going to give him something that he didn't have. Even though he didn't have eyes to see a vision, God gives him envision, which is something internal that you close your eyes, you can still picture something better. You've got to have that, and that's God-given. We're going to see that in a little bit later. But I want you to understand, number two, when the enemy wants to stop your destiny, he'll steal your identity. So they took his vision so that he couldn't see himself ever overcoming. Then they shackled him with fetters of brass. Normally it's iron. Brass was reserved for the worst of criminals and for kings throughout Bible. Brass. It was just to show that, hey, we value our prize trophy. This is our prize. And then they had him grinding mill. These mills where they would grind, that's where animals would grind, not prisoners. They said, now you're just a common animal. We own you. You see, the Philistines, up until this chapter, just wanted to kill him, just wanted to end him. But now it's not enough just to kill Samson because death would be too quick. They want to transform him so he's nothing what he should have been. See, sin does this. Sin will blind you, sin will bind you, and then sin leaves you grinding away at life. That's what sin does. That's the reality of sin. That's exactly where Samson's at. He was blinded by his own lies. Then he was bound, and now he's grinding away like an animal. But yet God still in his mercy, in verse number 22, the Bible says, Howbeit the hair of his head began to grow again after he was shaven. I wrote in my Bible one word next to that. I highlighted it, and I wrote one word. Grace. Grace, even in the moment where Samson had screwed up the most, God said, I'm still going to have grace on you. I know you've messed it up, but you're still going to get grace. God said, I'm going to allow your hair to grow back, which was an outward sign of an inward change that his power was coming back. Because God said, you know what? Man can't steal your destiny. They'll try. They'll try to take your identity. They're going to try to. But they're not. And God came in with grace. Grace is getting what I don't deserve. Did Samson deserve for his hair to come back? Did he deserve God to do anything else with him? He didn't deserve it, and neither do we, folks. You see, the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. Here, God comes back into his life, and he does something great by saying, hey, I'm going to bring this back. I'm going to allow it to grow. I write in my Bible, and I know some of you feel like, no, that's the word of God. It's sacred. Don't write in your Bible. 
you know what, folks? It's just a cow and trees. That's what it is, all right? It's okay to write and make notes, all right? I'm not trying to downplay it. Some of you, your, your Bible is electronic, okay? Make notes. Write stuff in your Bible that'll help you. Underline it. Get God's word. Make it come alive to you. When I write, it just shows that I'm thinking. This is all free, by the way. When do you and your devotion just kind of stop and just say, hey, I need to get something out of it. It's, it's just too important for me to miss. I want to remember it in days ahead where I'm going to need it. You see, Samson, when the enemy wants to stop your destiny, steals your eye identity. Without a right view of my identity, I will never have the right activity. I need to see myself as God sees me. God says, for you are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. How can you walk in them if you're not understanding who you are, Christian? Today, have you lost your vision? Don't let anybody take that vision from you. God is going to come, and God, in verse number 26, the Bible says, And Samson said unto the lad that held him by the hand, Suffer me, that I may feel the pillars whereupon the house standeth, that I may lean upon them. You see, he all of a sudden, God gives him this vision. And it's not just any vision. He says, Take me to where the pillars that are holding up the house. And if you've ever seen architecture from way back then they would have where was uh, uh they would sit where the roof of this house would be they had these pillars and they were just stacked on top of each other no cement just stacked and so he just wanted to get to where the house was because he wanted to bring the thing down okay earlier in the chapter he was just by a pillar but then later on he's by the main pillars so he has a big vision god god had given him a a bigger vision and that is grace okay but then i want you to see according to verse number 22 Man can't disqualify my destiny. Man can't disqualify it. Here is Samson. Here he's grinding away. But even through all that, God says, hey, your destiny's not done. You're not dead, so you're not done, Christian. God says, hey, I've got this plan. I've got this destiny for you. Satan can't stop it. The worst of darkness can't stop it. The enemy can't stop it because I've got a plan for you. In Romans 8, we read it and we find encouragement from it and it says, who can stand against you? Nothing. When we understand that God has got a purpose. So you say, I'm going to raise my children in the nurture of the admission of the Lord. I'm going to love my spouse like God commands me to. You know what? I'm going to lead my coworkers to the Lord. I'm going to lead my family. I've got a purpose. Man can't disqualify it. My own actions can't disqualify it. Because God in his grace has given me another opportunity. And God in his grace has given you another opportunity. So don't look at your life and think, it's disqualified. It's over. I've messed up. It's not over. Because God can draw a straight line even with crooked sticks, Christian. God can do it. If it's up to you, you're right. No, it can't happen. But God in his grace, he can do it. And that's where we draw our encouragement from. That yes, I'm going to do stuff. I'm sinful, fallen man. I'm going to mess up. But God, his sovereignty can overrule even when I've rebelled against him. God can still work miracles. Man can't disqualify me. You see, you're not dead, so you're not done. It's never too late to be who you might have been, Christian. Today begins the rest of your life. It starts today. Everything else is past. What you do today and tomorrow and going forward, that can change the course and direction of your life. Start over. Make new decisions. Because the same God who got me here is the same God who will get me there. He'll deliver you. He'll walk through this with you. And then verse 28, this is where we're going to kind of wrap things up. 
And Samson called unto the Lord and said, O Lord God, remember me, I pray thee, and strengthen me, I pray thee. Only this once, O God, that I may be at once avenged of the Philistines for my two eyes. You need a Savior that isn't you, because you can't save you. You need a Savior. And we hear that. We agree with that. Theologically, we agree with it. But there's the great lie that we believe. And I'm going to tell you the great lie, and this is where it's going to offend most of you. It offends me. It's an offensive part of Scripture. The great lie we believe is that I don't need God. I don't need him. I don't need him. Grace offends me. Because God's saying, you don't deserve me, but I'm going to give it to you. Who's going to tell me that I don't deserve something? It's offensive, right? When you really think about it, it's very offensive. What if somebody told you you can't eat at a certain restaurant? Who are you to tell me I can't eat here? This is Denny's. I will eat at Denny's when I please. That's fine dining for the Ermler family. I'm telling you what, man. Give me a grand slam. Eggs over easy. Somebody tells you, you can't go here. You can't do this. It's offensive. But God is saying, you can't do jack without me. But yet we still go on through life. That's Samson. His whole life... He did it without God. Why do you think in the passage it says that Samson wist not, he knew not that the power had departed from him because he had gone through life thinking he could do it. I can go to work Monday through Friday and do my work, get my paycheck, pay the bills, live Christian life. I can, I can go to church. I can sing the songs. I can teach the Sunday school lesson. I can do it. I can do it. I can do it. I can do it in the power of the flesh because I'm a man or I'm a woman and I can just, I can just do this. And that's the lie we believe. Most Christians believe it. Most Christians believe it. Most Christians believe this. It's all about me. It's all about me. That God just loves me because I'm so lovable. I'm just a lovable guy. I'm just a lovable girl, whatever you are. You're just thinking, I'm so lovable. Of course God loves me, John 3, 16. Of course. After all, I deserve it. And you think God is all about you. You think God is your cosmic Coke machine, your magic genie, just kind of rubbing whatever you need or something. Just kind of my beck and call. You need a savior just like I need a savior because I can't save me because the worst thing that ever happened to me is me. Worst thing that ever happened to you is you. It's not your spouse, not your boss, not your parents, not your past. The worst thing that ever happened to you is you, your fallen nature, your sinful nature, your pride, your arrogance, your heart. But we don't like that. We don't want to hear that. It's offensive. Because the Bible says this. Behold, thou hast made me days as a handbreadth, and mine age is as nothing before thee. Verily, every man at his best state is altogether vanity. What is vanity, Christian? It's emptiness. It's nothingness. God says, your very best, you add up to a whole lot of nothing. And all of a sudden, we think, Samson. And here's what we do in the life of Samson. We read ourselves into the hero of the story. Samson's not the hero of the story. I'm not the hero of the story. You're not the hero of the story. Jesus is the hero of the story. 
Jesus is the hero of your life. Jesus is the one who died on the cross. It's all about Jesus. It started with Jesus. It ends with Jesus. And the moment we wake up to it that it's all about Jesus, our life will radically change, church. Because too many Christians, they think it's all about them. Here's Samson at the last point of his life. He's saying, God, I need you. And when he admits that, God says, okay, I'll work. And you're going through life frustrated, and it's because you're not willing to recognize, I need God. Has anybody lied to you as much as you lie to you? You would never put up with it if you found out that many people lied to you. You never would. Imagine your boss lied to you as much as you lied to him. You wouldn't get away with it. Man, he's off one dollar on that paycheck. You're screaming bloody murder. You're calling somebody. Man, you're right. The meal's not exactly at 95 degrees Fahrenheit as soon as you walk in the home from a hard day's work. All of a sudden, man, it's just you get up in arms. See, nobody lied to Samson more than Samson lied to Samson. Hey, what about this? Who's broken more promises to you than you've broken to you? You break all your promises. You say, no, I didn't. Oh, yeah? New Year's. How's Gold's Gym working out for you? Yeah, I was going to lose 30 this year. Hmm? Oh, man, this is going to be different. I told my wife, it's going to be a different year. It's going to be a different year. Made a promise. Who'd you break it to? Before you broke it to your wife, you broke it to you. Oh, this will be the year. I'm going to read my Bible. Oh, I'm going to read my Bible. We got this new church. We're going to go to this new church. We're going to get all excited. We're going to get involved. We're going to get involved. We're going to get serving. We're going to get loving. We're going to, and uh, we'll go every once in a while. Who'd you break the promise to? You broke it to you. You would never let anybody break a promise to you like you break promises to you. You're the worst thing that ever happened to you. Now, isn't that secret sensitive? Don't you feel so good? I love making you all feel good. I know you're going to high five me on the way out and just be like, man, I felt good. No, it doesn't. It stinks. It doesn't feel good. But we need an accurate view of ourselves because we got the word telling us, the world telling us we're the greatest thing since sliced bread. That we're all the it. We think that God revolves around us and our needs instead of the exact opposite. We would never let anybody treat us like we treat us. We abuse ourselves. We waste our time. We forfeit on the promises of God. We miss out on our great potential. We don't realize how much we're destroying ourselves. And you can't blame anybody. Teenager, you can't blame your parents. Husband, you can't blame the wife. Wife, you can't blame the husband. And all of us, we can't blame God because we think it's all about us. I read a convicting verse and it just blew my mind as I, as I studied it. Isaiah 64, verse 6. But we are all as an unclean thing and all our righteousness are as filthy rags and we all fade as a leaf and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. All our righteousness. God says, all those things that you say are the best about you, God says it's filthy rags. I read one translation, and it said those filthy rags are just oily rags, like working on the car, oily rags. One translation said those rags are the rags that a leper would put and bind up the wounds, and that's what we dress ourselves up when we go to see God. Like you're going to see a special guest, you want to dress up? 
One translation said it's like you're putting on oily rags that you worked on the car and you made a little coat or dress out of those rags and you wore that to go see somebody. One said it was like, hey, a, a leper with all the pus and the blood and they put it on him. And you made a clothes with that and you put it on. But the Bible actually means, and this is the most offensive part, it's menstruating rags. Saying that's what you're dressing yourself with. So that's what we look like before God. That's where God puts us. We need God. It's, it's not where we just, oh yeah, just, I'm so good. No. Christian, we've got to come to that point where we just say, you know what? I don't just need God on Sunday. I need him every day of the week. It's a dependence. It's a constant walking with him. Because we're not all that. The sun doesn't rise on us. Grace is offered to those who say, I need it. I need grace. Grace is offensive. And when we see that, all of a sudden, God says, now I can work on your behalf because God has forgot. Yes, he loves you, Christian. Yes, he sent his son to die for you. But the rest of your life, you're going to believe this lie that Samson did. It's all about me. And you'll never embrace grace. And if you never embrace grace, you'll never be able to endure the struggle. And if you can't endure the struggle, you'll never enjoy the relationship. The relationship with who? The relationship with God. The one thing that Samson missed out the most on was the relationship with God. I go back to the point where it said that Samson loved Delilah. Here he had the opportunity to have a wonderful, awesome relationship with God, but yet he, he forfeited that. He gave that up. You and I have that same opportunity. I was talking with somebody recently, and I said, why is it that we'll go through a great trial, we'll get, go through a great difficulty, and prayer just isn't that comforting? Just not that comforting. Somebody says, I'm praying for you. Just not that comforting. I don't know. I just, there's just this part where it says, oh, yeah, I appreciate it. But why is that? Because we just don't depend on God, and we, we just, because we don't depend on him, we don't see him working in our lives. You see, Samson brought the house down on his biggest lie. The biggest lie was that I don't need God. This morning, I'm asking you to bring the house down on your biggest lie. That one is big. It may be that you are depending on yourself. It may be. It may be another lie that it's all my spouse. It may be another lie that it's all my boss. It may be another lie that, that you, you, you bury down your past. I don't know what the biggest lie in your life is, but it's time to bring the house down on it. It's time to bring the house down on it. It's time to say, I'm, I'm done with this. No more calling out the liars and other people. I'm calling out the liar myself. I'm looking inward. And I'm saying, God, what about me has to change? What about me do you want to do differently? You and I need to be set free from us. We do. You need to be set free from you. You're not a good enough savior. We're wrapping things up. I used to treat people in my life as a functional savior. You say, what do you mean a functional savior? I would get by. Didn't need to do my devotions. I would just, you know, my pastor is my functional savior. I don't need to read my Bible. My pastor will just, just give me a sermon and that'll keep me going. Uh, functional savior. I, I, I don't need to be a good Christian. My wife's a good Christian. Your wife becomes your functional savior. I, I don't need to be a good Christian. My husband's a good Christian. That becomes your functional savior. 
I, I don't need to pray because um, um, at dinner we pray over the food, and when we pray over the food, that, that, that's our prayer for the day. That's our communion with God. That's where we meet with God is over dinner, and that becomes a functional Savior. And some of us, that's where we're at. We don't have, we don't have a real Savior. It's not Jesus, God Almighty. It's, it's something else. It's something less than Jesus. And Christian, I can, I can pump you up. I can tell you, I, I, it's, it's so easy for me to preach a message that just like, man, you are the greatest. Let's pull down some pillars in our life. I could preach that and not have a problem. But the text says that he called on God. And then God did the miracle. Which junks to suppose that God is the hero of the story. That he used Samson. No longer am I the hero of my own story. I mean, we'll watch a movie and we'll think, man, yeah, yeah, I could do that. Iron Man, yeah, he's nothing for me. Yeah, Batman, whatever, I could do that. No, no, no. We're not the hero. Jesus is the hero. And when we start seeing that, it changes us. We walk in dependence. You say, I'll start walking in weakness. Who gave Samson strength? God. Because God loves to take weak things and make them strong. As you depend on God, you're admitting weakness. But here's the reality, though. The lie we tell ourselves is, I'm not weak. I'm strong. Come on. I make so much a year. Come on, I got all these people working for me. Come on, I got this family. I got these cars. I got all this stuff. I got this money in the bank. Uh, come on, I, I, I'm not weak. Revelation chapter number three. Jesus speaking to the churches. says, you don't even know that you're poor, you're naked, and you're destitute. He says, you don't even know it. Is that where we're at? We don't even know that we don't know? We don't know that we don't know. We need to come back to a point where we say, you know what, God, yes, I admit my failure. Yes, I admit that I am weak. But then I can truly live in truth. I can truly live in freedom. I can truly live in the power of Jesus Christ that I understand whatever power I have is not of me, it's of God. And that is when we truly become strong. And that's when as a church there becomes that hope, there becomes that that vision God gave him the vision. His eyes were gone. That vision was gone. But God said, I'm going to give you a bigger vision. It's from me of what you're going to do. Right now, you may not see much of a vision for your life, but when you say, I'm going to depend on God, all of a sudden, the bigger vision comes into play, and it'll scare you to death because it's just that big. Because God will take somebody like you, like me, and say, I will make you strong, and I will use you. And great things can happen. When we say, I depend on God, let's pray.